Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. Um, if you have your offering, go ahead and get it out, get it ready. Um, we're just going to declare some things together as a family. Every one of these declarations comes straight from Scripture. And so it's good for us to believe what God says. It's good for us to speak it out of our mouths, to actually say and agree and come into agreement. You know, he said that if two or more of you agree on anything, right? It's talking about humans. If two human beings agree as to touching anything, imagine when the two that are agreeing is us and the Word of God that was spoken. When we come into agreement with His Word and we actually believe and we declare with our mouths the things that He said, the things that He's already spoke over us. So, so here we go. Ready? We're going to start with, get our offerings ready and we're going to say this together. Thank You, Lord, for Your hand of favor and blessing on our lives. Yes. We believe that every good thing we have is from You. Thank You for the abilities You have given us. We believe that You delight in the prosperity of Your servants and that it is You that gives us the power to make wealth. Thank You for creative ideas and solutions. We believe that as Your children, we have access to the greatest creative force that has ever existed. Listen to me. You have access to the greatest creative force. He speaks and the sun comes roaring forth. And that same Spirit of God lives inside of you. You don't have to be a copy of something. You can be a creator. You don't, you're not stuck doing what everybody has always done. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing things that people have already done. But we have to believe that we actually have the Creator living inside of us. Because it's His Spirit that's inside us. It's the Spirit was hovering over the face of the earth. The same Spirit hovers inside of you. And it's ready to move. Believe that. Open yourself up and expect creative ideas and solutions. Expect that even if you aren't the smartest one at the table, you have the smartest one at the table inside of you. Come on. You don't have to be the most qualified person at the table. You just have to be the most obedient. Alright. Thank you for favor and opportunity. We believe that you open doors no man can shut. Thank You that we have no lack. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Listen, never have I seen the righteous hungry nor His offspring begging for bread. These are promises in the Word. These are not like, wow, that'd be a really cool idea if God believed that. Maybe we could talk Him into it. This came from Him. This was His idea. We believe that You are aware of our needs and have more than enough to supply according to Your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Give us wisdom to steward our resources well for Your glory. Help us always remember why we are blessed. That we would never live selfishly, but always led by Your Spirit, looking for opportunities to be a blessing. God, we just thank You for that. We believe this is true. And so we just agree with Your Word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So they're going to take up the offering now. You guys, you realize that like you don't have to be the one at the table that has all the answers. You just have to be the one at the table who believes that He does. 
You just have to be aware of the fact. Listen, I, if you feel like you can't hear God speak, think about this for a moment. Let me just shatter that perception for you. So it's by grace that you're saved through faith. And faith comes by what? Wait a minute. You were saved. How many people in this, in this room are born again, are saved? How many? How many aren't? All right. I just want to check. Because if you're not, you can step instantly from, life into, from, from death into life. From darkness into light. And it's not like, oh, you say a prayer and then just go back to life as normal. But the first step is actually believing and confessing with your mouth that He is Jesus, is the Son of God, that He died on a cross, that He rose again for your sins and making Him the Savior and Lord of your life. But so listen, so if you're born again, if you're saved, that grace came through faith. And how does faith come? By hearing. And hearing by the, the, the rhema of God. The utterance of God. You hear God. You have to. Because if you couldn't hear God, you couldn't have faith. And if you can't have faith, then you can't receive grace. And if you can't receive grace, then you're not born again. So if you're born again by grace through faith, that means you've heard God speak. Now all you have to believe is that He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And that the God who spoke to you and called you into His kingdom didn't speak and call you forth to leave you alone and never speak again. Think about how weird that would be. Just, just think about this in human terms. Like, oh, I want a relationship with you so bad. I sent my son to die on a cross. I just want to know you and I want you to know me. And I'm going to speak to you and call you into my family. And then I'm going to ignore you for the rest of your life and leave you confused and never hearing me again. It doesn't even make sense. It'd be like me and Patty getting married and me being like, okay, now that I got what I wanted, I'm never going to speak to you again. Come on. And yeah, we have the Bible. Yes, I can write cards, but I also speak. There's the Logos and the Rhema Word of God, and both of them are valid for the believer. He speaks through His written Word, but He speaks also through the Holy Spirit of God inside of us, through, other, through gifts and through prophecy and all this stuff we've been talking about forever. But listen, I just want you to understand this. You can hear God. Yeah. And so if you're sitting at a table, you don't have to be the smartest person at the table. You just have to believe that the smartest one at the table is the person who's being obedient to the voice of the Father. I promise you, he doesn't, even, he doesn't even need you to be a genius to be a genius through you. He just needs your yes. How many times have you done something and afterwards thought, whoa, I can't believe I did that. Not in a bad way. I've done that many times, right? I can't believe I did that. I'm not talking about that kind of I can't believe I did that. I'm saying afterwards you look at something you did and even you're impressed. Come on. It's only okay, it's only not okay to feel that way if you think it was by your doing and you don't understand that it was through the Father that's inside of you. At some point in your life, you should do something and think, whoa, because God's living through you. The life I live is no longer mine, but Christ who lives in me. So if I can't be excited about what He's doing in me, at some point I have to ask myself, is He really in me? Because He's pretty exciting. And so, so, but, but a lot of times He just uses what you already have, right? So, so Peter needs a coin. This isn't the message. This is for free. In a minute, you'll get what you paid for. Um, kidding. Um, I don't know why I feel the need to say I'm kidding, but I felt like I needed to. <laughs> but a lot of times, he just uses what you already have or what you already know. Think about it. So Peter needs to pay tax for him and Jesus. Now, could Jesus have pulled a coin out of Peter's ear? Of course. Could he have took a rock, flipped it in the air, and when it landed, it had been a coin. 
Absolutely. But he didn't. He tells Peter, a fisherman, go down to the water, catch a fish, and look inside its mouth. Why? Because sometimes he wants to use the thing that you've already been doing in a supernatural way to bless you above the way that you could have naturally. Sometimes he just wants you to go fish and trust that there's more to it than just fishing. Because he could have done it any way, but he chose what? The thing that Peter already knew how to do, the thing that Peter was already doing was the way that he wanted to bless him. Sometimes we're waiting for money to fall out of the sky and God's waiting for us to act on the idea that's already inside of us. We're waiting to open the mail. Look, open your mailbox expecting a check every single day. I do. I told Patty that the other day. I said, you know, every single day I go to the mailbox, I open it and I halfway expect there's going to be a check or something in there. Yeah. Well, I just do. I don't know. <laughs> He's done it too many times for me not to. If, if the things that he does don't build an expectancy inside of us, something's wrong. He said this to the disciples. Remember when, when he, when he, when he uh, fed the, the 4,000, that he fed the 5,000? And then when he's talking to them, he says, beware the, lo- the leaven of, of Herod and the Pharisees, and they reason that it's because they have no bread. And what does he say to them? He says, why do you reason? Because you have no bread. Do you not remember when I did this and when I did that, what's he saying? The things I do should build an expectancy inside of you and you should never again find yourself in the place that you were before I did them the first time. It's to build a history. There should be a history there that says this is what he has done, this is what he has done, so I'm confident this is what he will do. It's the history thing that we talked about last week. So I do, I go to the, but, but, but more often than not, it's the thing that I've, put my hand to that He blesses and breathes on. I love what, what Chris Valentin said. He said, you know, there's so many people that are sitting on their couch waiting to be called into that position of ministry. And he said, you know what all the people Jesus called into ministry had in common? They were all working when He called them. Every one of them. Look, we're not making a formula out of that. It's not saying, alright, I'm going to get a job. That way He'll call me. But I am saying, like, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And trust that maybe God wants to use the thing that you have that you put your hand to to bless you. Because He could have made coins rain from heaven. Instead, He put a coin inside a fish's mouth and told a fisherman, go catch a fish. And inside of that will be something that blesses you. I was free. Be blessed. Take it for what it's worth. (laughs) I'm probably stalling a little bit. Because uh, I'm going to be just real honest with you guys. We're going to talk today about the gifts of healing. And I'm going to just say this right up front. I don't have it all figured out. Not that I have any subject that I talk about up here all figured out, but this one I have even less all figured out than some of them that we talk about. But I can't skip over it as if it's not there. And I can't allow my own experience to be a Goliath in the valley that shuts my mouth. I can't do that. And I felt like all week, actually it's been months because I knew this message is coming, right? You're reading the list and it's like, dun, 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 oh, the gifts of healings. And you know it's coming. And I just felt like for, for a while as I've been preparing for this, I could just hear Goliath in the valley. What about so-and-so? How can you be when you, what about, and remember that time? And what about, and, they, and, and you know who's going to be there and what they're going to think and what they've been through and they've experienced and how can you and all these accusations. And I feel like it's just Goliath down in the valley hoping I'll run into a cave and hide. And I can't do that. But I'm just, I'm just saying, listen, like, don't take what I'm saying today as me saying I have it all figured out and if you could be like me, so you would too. We're growing together, okay? We're on this journey together. So here we go. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 
chapter seven. Uh, I mean, chapter uh, twelve, verse seven. He says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. But to each one is given. We're going to start with this every single time because I want us to get this through our our heads and into our hearts that to each one, you're included in each one. He wasn't talking about the the, the apostles when Paul wrote this. He was writing to a church. Okay, so these gifts are not just for the super spiritual. They weren't just for the apostles. He's writing this to a church and he's saying to the church, now to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. This is the one Scripture I don't have down in my notes. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Okay, we need to stop there. That's fine. Affecting of miracles, prophecy, where he gets all those things. So this is one of the gifts that's listed in these. To each one is given a manifestation, and this is one of. The, and it says gifts of healings. Now I'm going to be real honest with you guys. I don't really know the difference with how this works when you compare it to what Jesus said in the end of uh, bo- the book of Mark in Mark 16, in verse 16. He says. He that believes and is baptized. He's sending the disciples out. This is the Great Commission, right? He's sending them out into the world. He's telling them what to go do. And then he tells them what they can expect to see if people actually believe this message of the kingdom that they're bringing. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. Mark 16, 16. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. They take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So Jesus is telling them to go out into the world and preach the gospel, and he's saying, and, and this is how you'll know that people believe. You'll see these signs. This is Jesus. These are in red letters in your Bible. He says, and these things will, he says, they'll take up serpents. And some people have taken that to mean, we'll just go pick up serpents to find out if you believe or not. You're not supposed to test God. This wasn't like, here's the test, put them through. Make them pick up a serpent, make them drink poison, have them lay hands on the sick. And if you see someone not get hurt, not get killed by the poison, and the, and the, the person that they prayed for healed, then you know that they believe. It wasn't a test like that. He's saying these are things that will follow the signs of someone that believes. If you watch their life, what follows someone? It means as they go, you'll see these things wherever they've gone. That's simply all it means. So where do we see this in the Word? Well, we see Paul pick up a snake when he's looking for sticks. A deadly serpent bites him. He says, I'm going to be fine. He uses it to to show people that the Gospel is true and real. People believe it so much that they think he's God and he has to back them up and say, no, no, no. Times, hold on. I'm not God. I'm just someone who knows Him. I can show you who He is. So in the course of preaching the Gospel, in the course of doing what God called him to, he picked up a serpent on accident. It bit him. And he wasn't harmed. There's a sign of a believer. Back then, a lot, of, a lot of people would be killed by poisoning. And so, he was saying, listen, if you go somewhere and they don't like what you're preaching, they try to poison you, you don't have to worry about that. If you drink it, it won't even bother you. He wasn't saying, go find some bleach. Guys, that's not what he was saying. He's not saying mix up some cyanide and test your faith. Jesus answered that real simply. Cast yourself off of the temple, for it is written, He'll give His angels charge over you. Thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test. Even Jesus said, listen, I know what's written, but I'm not, that's not written for me to test Him. 
That's written for my encouragement so that I can know that if I'm following Him and something does happen, His angels would protect me. It's not for me to like go jump off buildings. This is a good word. There's a lot of people that have died because of a misunderstanding of these words. And so and then he says, and, and um, if they lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. So Luke 5.17. And he, but here's why I say I, I'm not really sure where the gift of healing ends and where the, the commissioning of Jesus starts. Because the disciples, when they were writing the Gospels, and Paul, when he was writing the letters, never really distinguished and said, and then a gift of healing took place. And then Peter, who had a gift of healing, did this. or And then a gift of healing was bestowed on this person and they did this. They don't delineate between them. It's just people were healed. And you don't know whether that was people were healed because they went out and did what Jesus said to do and they saw the people recover, or if it was a gift of healing at work. And I think maybe that's intentional. I think maybe that's on purpose because I think if they would have said it was a gift for this person and not for that person, then we would have said, well, that person had a gift, this person didn't, this person was a so-and-so. And so pretty soon, if it was a pastor who operated in a gift, we would make a theology that said only pastors receive this gift. It's not, And all that stuff, because we love to do that and we love to make formulas. And so I think intentionally it's left out, whether it was acting in a gift or whether or not it was just the the simple playing on of hands like Jesus talked about. But I just want to go through some stuff in the Bible and talk about just all the different things the Bible says about healing. And maybe that will help you understand where I'm at with this and maybe give us a better understanding. So Jesus is talking um, here in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. It says, One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teacher of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, He said, Friends, friend, your sins are forgiven. And then later, He heals the man. Because people said, who can heal on the Sabbath? And he says, well, so that you'll know that I'm the Son of God. But it says, Jesus saw the faith of the friends and responded. And this happened. And so we could formalize that and we could say, well, you know, if you, if you want to be healed, then what you have to do is you have to have a bunch of your friends that have faith take you somewhere. And when God sees that all your friends have faith, then you'll be healed. But then in Acts chapter 14 verse 8 says that Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who when he fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. So here's Paul preaching. He looks out and he sees a man had faith to be healed. And so he says to the man who he saw had faith to be healed, stand on your feet and walk. And the man leaps up, gets on his feet. So we can make a formula out of that. If you want to be healed, you go to a church service, make sure you just work up enough faith and you believe and you fasted, and then stand there and stare at the pastor. You ever looked at somebody hoping they would notice you while they were speaking or, or doing something? Anybody? You ever not looked hoping they wouldn't notice you? Both of them are pretty obvious. You know, like some, you've been somewhere and someone's actually like giving words to people or calling people out to pray for them. And you have two groups of people. You have the people who want so badly to be called out and prayed for. 
And those are the people that are just like locked in, staring, sitting on the edge of their seat. They keep like adjusting, you know, making themselves a little bit taller for a second. Their head just kind of does this the whole time, right? And it's annoying when that person's in front of you because it's like, dude, chill out. It's either God or it's not. Relax. You don't have to help him. And then there's the people that you can tell are a little awkward because they maybe there's something going on in their life or maybe they're socially awkward and, and, and so they don't want to be called out, but they also don't want to look like they don't want to be called out. So they're trying their best to look casual while not looking too casual. You know, and there's kind of like, they don't know what to do with their hands, you know, it's like, I, I don't want to look at them, but I don't want to not look at them. I don't want them to think I'm not looking at them and think there's something wrong. So I better look at them. Don't look too long. And, 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 but, but listen, you, we could formulize this, right? And we could be like, so that's how it happens. You go to a service and you make sure that the guy speaking sees that you have faith to be healed and he'll call you out of the crowd and you'll be healed. But then, there's John fourteen eleven. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So here's Jesus now, all of a sudden, including everybody into this, and saying, he that believes in me, Things I do, he'll do. He's not talking about just preaching the gospel, because he's saying if you don't believe my words, then at least believe because of the things I've done, the work. What works? Well, he did a lot of stuff. And then he drew us into that because he said, And he that believes in me, the things I do, he will do. How many of, of us are included in the he? She that believes in me. Everybody. Everybody that believes. Then there's Mark chapter 9, verse 21. And he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? Jesus is asking the father because the father brought the son to be healed. Disciples couldn't. Jesus comes walking up, and the thing is making him flop around and thrash and all these kind of things. And Jesus is completely uninterested in the show that the demon's putting on. It's just a distraction. This is, how long has this been going on? And he says, um, from childhood, it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. All things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd was gathering rapidly, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And immediately the boy goes limp. People think he's dead. He's not. He's healed. So here's a man who kind of believes. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd was rapidly gathering. So we could formulize this and we could say, look, all you need is someone who just kind of believes. Have them bring you somewhere and have a crowd of people start to gather and then next thing you know, boom, healing. Because that's what happened here. But then there's James chapter 5. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. 
Is anyone cheerful? He used to sing praises. You, you understand that nobody argues that if you're cheerful, you should sing praises? You ever had someone like, you, you ever seen a Facebook fight about whether singing praises for the cheerful is still for today? I haven't, not yet. I've seen a lot of them about a lot of things, but I've never seen people argue. You guys, listen, this subject like splits friendships at times. We've got to repent. We've got to understand that, look, our job is not to make people believe what we believe. It's to make them believe in Him. And if we can do that by loving them, then love them to a place of defense. It's His kindness that leads men to change the way they think. It doesn't say it's our well-crafted argument that pins them to a corner that changes men's, that makes men repent. It doesn't say that. It says for it's the kindness of God that leads men to repentance. You can argue with people till they're blue in the face. It doesn't matter. If it's not the kindness of God, there's not going to be a change of mind. That doesn't mean we can't discuss things intelligently and, and have adult conversations about things. And it doesn't mean that we can't come to a place of saying, you know, I just don't, I don't really know if I've, fully believe the, what you're saying, that's okay. I don't have, you don't have to believe me. You have to believe Him. And if I can do anything to point you to Him, that's awesome. But ultimately, it's going to be Him that changes your heart anyways. Because when you stand before Him on that day, it's not going to be me that's sitting on the throne. It's going to be Him. So probably ought to line up with what He thinks. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. You ever, you ever, you ever stayed up late at night battling on Facebook about that? Well, I don't know if I, I just don't believe that praying for suffering people is, is valid anymore. It died with the apostles. Surely, people that are suffering praying went away when the Bible was written. You just you understand that when you take things in context and you apply the same arguments that are made about some of the things, it just makes no sense. But some reason that Goliath in the valley, that what you remember. That what you haven't seen, that disappointment, suddenly makes things that in other contexts would seem insane seem so logical. Is anyone among you sick? So, so there still are people that suffer that should pray. There's still people that are cheerful that should sing praises. And there's still people that are sick. Then he must call for the elders of the church and there to pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. So we clear? You guys understand why there's probably a lot of discussion that has and that should take place when it surrounds this subject. And then in the midst of all these different things, there's mix in the fact that there's the gifts of healings. Different gifts, different healings. Both of those words in the original language are plural. The gifts of healings. And, and I think sometimes we get so hung up on the physical, and, and, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about the physical. We should. It's because when Jesus said to the leper, you've been sozo. It meant you've been saved, healed, and delivered. All of them, it was a package deal. It wasn't, well, one day you're going to go to heaven. The only person that he ever said that to 
You realize the only person that Jesus ever said that to was the thief on the cross, and that was because there was nothing else available to him. He was at the end of his life, getting ready to head into eternity. There was nothing else available to him at that moment than for Jesus to offer him that he would spend eternity with him. We've reduced the Gospel down to the least that Jesus ever offered a person who was about to enter eternity, and that's what we offer people who have a whole life to live in front of them. But there's also emotional healing. There's spiritual healing. How many of you guys have ever talked to someone who's just a mess because of things that have happened in their... You guys realize that a lot of times physical, emotional, physical, and spiritual are tied together in the Bible? How many times was someone healed and Jesus said, come out of them? Or leave her alone? Or your sins have been forgiven and now you can be healed? Why? I'm not saying that, listen, some of you have made a theology about this. Well, someone's sick, it's because there's sin in their life. Listen, that's not true. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where there is the result. Ultimately, is sickness the result of sin? Absolutely. Because without sin, there would be no sickness in the world. Because before Adam and Eve sinned, there was no sickness in this earth. We can, we can unequivocally say that. That before man sinned, In the garden, prior to sin, there was no such thing as sickness and it had no effect on humanity. We are made to live forever eating from the tree of life. We can 100% say that. But that doesn't mean that every time now we see someone sick, it's because they had individual sin in their life or because of something that they've done wrong. Jesus addressed that really clearly one time with people and they asked Him. But it doesn't mean it's never the case. Because Jesus did say to another man after He was healed, see that you don't fall back into sin or something worse. Worse than what? Worse than the thing He was healed from originally, which was a sickness, will come upon you. So we want to make this neat formula. And we could do that if we took any one of those examples and we decided this is what we believe we're going to stand just on this, but we have to take the whole counsel of Scripture. And we have to make what we believe coexist between all these different Scriptures. So is it true that it says in the Word of God that if there is people who are sick, they should call for the elders and if they anoint them and pray, the prayer of faith will heal the sick? Yes, it's true. Is it true that Jesus said that if someone believes when they lay hands on the sick, they'll recover? I mean, I'm asking. Like That's not a rhetorical question. Like, Are we all on the same page here that Jesus really said that? Yeah. I can hear it. Because I can hear it in my own ear. Then what about, and fill in the blank with the person you prayed for. That's the most painful time when you prayed and didn't see it happen. I have an answer for that. I don't know. I don't. I wish I could stand here and tell you, well, I know this is the problem. And listen, there may be times where you can look through and you can ask God and He shows you and you see that well, this was that or that was that or whatever the case is, but there's a lot of times where we just don't have an answer for things and we have to be okay saying, I don't know, but it doesn't change what I clearly can see in the Word of God. We've got to develop this place where we look at it and we say, listen, I don't know. No one has ever been able to prove to me that when we die, there's this place called heaven that we go to, but I believe it even though I haven't seen it. I know it doesn't make sense that a man walked across the water, and I've tried. How many of you guys have ever tried to walk on water? Come on. 
Not enough of you. I remember being a kid, we'd go to the neighbor's swimming pool. John and Marie Lang, they were two older people that lived next door to us. We would go to their swimming pool, and probably once or twice a week, I would try to walk on water. I, I would. I would be like, okay, Peter did it. I mean, I was little. I knew the story, and I was like, if he did it, I could do it. And I'd just step into that pool, and I sank like a rock every single time. But listen, my experience with that doesn't make me look at the Bible where it says that Peter did it and go, well, there's no way that Peter did it because when I tried this or this or this didn't or this or this did happen. See, listen, we say so easily that we believe Peter did it even though we haven't experienced it because the Word of God says it. Why don't we take that same approach when it comes to other things in the Bible that cause so much division? What would be so hard about us all coming to a place that goes, look, this is what the Word says. I know that every one of you that's tried has sank like a rock to the bottom of the pool. But I still believe that it's not only possible, that it has happened. And here's the thing. If God told me to come onto the water, I believe that I'd be able to walk. Well, He did tell me to lay my hands on the sick and they would recover. Sometimes we just got to allow the Word of God to just break apart these ideas that we've made. And, and you know what? It is so much easier just to have an idea that says, well, whatever, I just don't care. But we do care because people are hurting because we want to be able to see God's glory on display, not for our own sakes, but for His great name. How many of you guys honestly believe that if Jesus was standing there at the edge of the pool and He said, walk across here to me, that you'd be able to walk across? the same way Peter did. We all believe that. Why don't we believe the other things that he clearly told us in Scripture? Why are we arguing and fighting about that while the enemy's laughing and another one dies? So, like I said, I, I don't have this all figured out, but I'm trying to work through... How many of you guys... I know I'm asking a lot of questions of you guys. It's okay. Look, just because you walk through doors into a building called church, you didn't lose your voice. Your butt's not stuck to the seat and your arms aren't stuck to your side. I promise. How many of you guys have ever shared the Gospel with someone and got to pray with them and see them get born again? How many of you guys have ever done it? Raise your hands up high if you have. You have. You realize Jesus said that's harder than seeing someone healed. He said, what is easier to say to a man, be healed, or to say your sins are forgiven, but so that you will know that Jesus is the Son of God, as Lord of the Sabbath, be healed. What did he say? Look, the easier part is to say to someone, be healed. The harder part is to see someone's sins forgiven. Why? Because one's a physical change. The other one's a total, complete spiritual change from the inside out. And, and so many of you guys just raised your hands and said that you've seen someone actually God, through you, use you to bring somebody into and to see somebody healed in the way that Jesus said was harder. And you know what? I think that's where the frustration tempts to come in. Because we've seen the one that He said was easier. And so many times we haven't seen the one that He said... I'm sorry, we've seen the one that was harder. And so many times we haven't seen the one that He said was easier. And listen, I just want to give us permission today.
there's a place for saying, God, I want to see everything that you promised in the Word. There's a place for saying, God, I, I haven't seen this and I haven't seen that, but I want to see it. But what we can't do is allow a pure and sincere heart that really wants to see more of God and see people's lives change for God be a way for the enemy to come in and bring condemnation. What we can't do is allow a desire to see Him known cause us to start striving unhealthily and feeling like we have to work so hard to cause something to happen. Um, So I just want to kind of clarify this down real quick and, and just kind of give us a, a what we as a church family believe about healing. I, I know this isn't totally addressing the gifts of healing, and the reason why is because I honestly don't know where the gifts of healing start and where walking in healing stops uh, or starts. I, I do know this. I do know that a lot of times God uses a gift to draw somebody into something so that He can build a history with them. And maybe, maybe when people first are, are going out and praying for the sick and they see people healed, maybe that's the gift of healing or a gift of healing manifesting in their life because God's trying to draw them into something where it goes from being a gift to being a history. You guys, you ever meet someone that when they first get born again, they're just so zealous and so full of faith and they're just, you know, like they're, they're stepping onto pool water every single day and shocked when their phone gets ruined. Like, they're, I mean, they're lit. they are out there where their faith is just in, if he said it, it's true. And there's a lot of times they're seeing things happen. And I think in, in those instances, you're seeing a gift. You're seeing like a gift of faith that God gives them. But that gift of faith is meant to build a history. And a lot of times you see those same people, or not a lot of times, but, but sometimes you see those same people and you see them years later and they're nothing like the person they were the last time you saw them. They maybe sometimes they even turn their back on the things they once believed. Why? Because the gift never transitioned into an actual history. Because a gift is easy because it's free. But a history requires relationship and that takes effort. I promise you, I was praying and just praying and praying about this and asking God why. And I felt like that's what He showed me. Is that, that, think about it, David. We talked about this a little bit last week, but think about it. The first time that David went after a lion when it took a lamb, it was probably a gift of faith because he had no history to stand on to say God will do that. Like he could believe that, but he had nothing that he could say because God has done this and God has done this, surely he'll do this. So there's that gift of faith or courage that comes upon him. And think about this, a little boy, it doesn't say that like, you know, he threw a rock at the lion, the lion left. and He, he says, I chased the lion down, killed it, and took the lamb back. This is a young boy chasing a full-grown lion. And then a bear comes and steals a lamb and he does the exact same thing. But when he's up against Goliath, he doesn't, notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't rely on that same thing that he relied on when he went after the lion. He does in one sense that he's relying on God, but it's not the same way. Now he's actually built this history with God where he says, God has done this and God has done this and surely God will do this. Why? Because now he has history. Now it goes from a gift to something he walks in. And maybe this is what the gift of healing does. I, I don't know for sure. I'm just being honest. I don't know. But maybe the gifts of healing and, and, and working miracles and these different things that the Bible talks about, the gift of prophecy, maybe the gift of prophecy comes on so that people can actually understand that they can hear God, but then it goes into a relationship with the Father where they can speak on His behalf out of relationship rather than a gift. 
And maybe what happens to some people when you see them and they seem like they've crashed and burned and they turn their back and things aren't the way they were is they tried to live on a gift rather than walk in relationship. Because at some point, that gift of faith that was placed on David became a relationship and a history with David that would carry him for the rest of his life where he could look back and say, I no longer need God to give me a gift of faith because I've cultivated a faith inside of me because of relationship with Him. And maybe that's what happens with the gift of healing. I don't know. Maybe that transition comes when it goes from this thing where you're praying for people, not even sure that anything's going to happen, seeing them healed, to all of a sudden you're walking and believing that if I lay my hands on the sick, they'll recover. Because I've prayed for people, honestly, like I think it was a gift of, of healing because I've prayed for someone and been shocked when it happened. I was more surprised than they were. I'm just being honest. I know the halo's shrinking a little bit. Sorry, it's the truth. But that was pretty early when I started praying for the sick. And now I feel like there's a faith in me because of what I know of Him and what I've seen of Him in the relationship that I have with Him where I just believe. And then does it happen every time? No. But I can't go back and change what I have seen and I can't go back on what He said because I haven't seen it every single time. Otherwise, I'd have no business sharing the Gospel with anybody because I promise you there's so many times I've shared the Gospel with people and they haven't received it. And I could take that same stance and say, you know, God, You said in Your Word that people would get saved if we would preach because through the foolishness of preaching that You've ordained men to be saved. And I preached the Gospel and they didn't do that. So I guess that's not for today. I tried that preaching the Gospel stuff. I used to believe that stuff. And then I did it and it didn't. I mean, see how weird that sounds? It's twisted. But we'll apply that logic to a lot of things if we're not careful. So this is kind of what, what we believe. We believe that we believe that it is God's will to heal. And there's one reason we believe that. Jesus. Because every single time they brought someone to Jesus to be healed, He healed them. Every single person. Every single time. He never once said, I'm sorry. It's not my Father's will. Think about this. There was one time. There was one time where it says and He could do no mighty miracle. And the reason why was why? It wasn't because it wasn't His Father's will. It was because of their unbelief. Think about this. You could find that right in the Scriptures, right? Jesus said to them, a prophet is without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. I think what this means is that I think there was an anointing that was present when people were filled with faith where Jesus would just pray and every single person would be healed. Because it said they would bring every sick from the towns and the surrounding towns when they saw Jesus come. They would bring all their sick, all their crippled, all their lame, all their blind, everyone. It says and from the surrounding towns and He healed them all. I don't think Jesus went and individually healed every single person. I think there was a corporate anointing that was there when there was faith in the, in the place where they were at where He would say, be healed, and every one of them would be healed. And I think the reason why it says He could do no mighty miracle among them except to lay His hands on a few sick people and they recover is because of the unbelief in the room, there wasn't the corporate anointing there. But the people who did believe, nothing could stop them from receiving what God had for them. And so the ones who came to Him that He laid His hands on were the ones who, despite the fact that everybody else was going, wait a minute, that's just that's the carpenters. 
son. And that's, that's Jesus. He's Mary's son and we know his brothers and all that kind of stuff and the familiarity stuff that was going on. There were still some people that said, no, that's Jesus of Nazareth. He's the Christ. And if I can get to Him, I'll be healed. And those people came and there was nothing that the people around them unbelief could stop from them receiving what Jesus had. So we believe that it is God's will to heal. Until there is a new Bible written that rewrites what Jesus replied to people who asked for healing. We have to believe that because Jesus is our ultimate example because He said that He is the perfect representation of the nature of the Father. So if every single person that came to Jesus for healing was healed, then we believe that it was always God's will to heal. And if He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever, then we have to continue to believe that. I know. Yeah, but. Trust me, I hear it too. It doesn't change the Word. It will never change the Word. We believe that sometimes people are healed immediately and sometimes people are healed like the leopard as they went. That there were a lot of times where people were immediately healed, but there were also times where people were healed as they went. Or when Jesus spoke, then that very Word was relayed to people and and they got word back that at the time that He spoke, the daughter was healed, but they didn't see it physically in the moment because they weren't there personally with them. We just believe that we believe that if we pray for people, they will be healed, whether we see it or whether we don't immediately. And we don't get discouraged when we don't see something happen that the Bible says that we should. And we don't allow that to go to a place of self-condemnation. We can examine ourselves, but we can't condemn ourselves. We can say, God, I want to see more. God, I want to see Your glory in this earth. I want to see people know You. God, I want to be used by You. And that's all healthy, but we can't get to this place where we start condemning ourselves and thinking, well, there must be something wrong with me because I didn't or because I did. You know, the other danger in that is this, is that we, we, when we get so focused on it, a lot of times we start to see people that need healing as a problem to be solved rather than a person to be loved. And we can lose sight of who they are as a person. And we can miss out on the beauty of relationship with them and the side of the Father's heart that they display because every time we look at them, all we see is the fact that they're not healed rather than seeing that they're an amazing person created in the image and likeness of the Father. Do we want to see people healed? Is our heart, do we have compassion for them? Absolutely. We just have so much compassion. There's people in my life that I just so desperately want to see healed. But I can't let the fact that I want to see them healed keep me from seeing them for who they are and enjoying them even when they're not. And I can't let my focus of relationship with them be them receiving healing. It has to be relationship with them. Otherwise, I'll put a relationship with them and enjoying them on hold until I see the thing that I'm wanting to see happen in their life. And that's so selfish. And it misses out on so much because there's so much relationship that can be had in the process. I don't ever want to see that happen to us. I don't ever want us to see people as a problem to be solved. I want us to see them as a person to be loved. And does loving them look like praying for them? Absolutely. But it also means like loving them and enjoying them even if they're not healed in the moment. And encouraging them and building a relationship with them. We believe that we're all in process of becoming more like Jesus. 
We believe that, that every single one of us is being matured to the fullness of Jesus like it talks about in Ephesians, but that we're all in process of becoming more and more like Him. That every day we're being changed to become more and more like Him. That every day we discover more of who He is and more of who we are in Him. But that none of us has it all together and none of us has fully arrived. Not one. And we're okay saying, listen, there's things that I don't understand. We will not be a family that believes that we have to have an answer for everything unless He's provided the answer for us. I promise you, the best place you can get to in your life is to be okay saying, I don't know. Now, that's not to say, I don't know, and I'm going to stay there for the rest of my life, and I'm never going to seek any answer. It just means, right at this point, right now, where I'm at right now, I don't know. And I'm asking God, and I'm seeking. He said, if I asked, I would find. And if I seek, it would be open. And if I knock, or knock, it would be open. And if I seek, I would find. So I'm believing that at some point, I'll be able to answer that question for you. But right now, I don't have an answer, and I would be very wrong to give you one where He hasn't given me one yet. Because the last thing you need is my best guess. You need His voice. And that's okay. Give yourself permission. Listen, I feel like some of you in here just need to know. Breathe. Breathe. Don't take so much pressure on yourself. Because here's the other thing that happens when we start taking all this pressure on ourselves. We forget that it's a gift. We forget about the joy of loving people. We forget about the fact that this is supposed to be full of joy. And if something's taking our joy, it's not the kingdom of God because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And even these holy frustrations we allow ourselves to have, if they're taking our joy, they're not Him. And so often, because you've, you live a set-apart life, because you live holy, listen to me, you live set-apart and you live holy and you're not giving yourself to things you used to give yourself to. And He doesn't have a way in that He used to have in. He'll come at you through a different angle and He'll use your pure intentions and the purity of your heart against you. And all of a sudden, rather than it being you eat too much or you drink too much or you do this drug or you any of the things that you used to struggle with all the time, rather than it being that, suddenly it'll be this place where you're condemning yourself because, well, if you were a Christian, if you really believed, then how come you don't? And you read the Bible and you see this. And what about this person? What about that person? Listen, you don't have to be anybody other than you. And you being who God created you to be is good enough or He would have made you just like that person. Is it okay to look at people and be encouraged by them? Yes, but when we start looking at them and become discouraged by their life, there's a problem. Because now we're thinking that they have something that we don't and we're disqualifying ourselves or we're thinking this or that. The next thing you know, it just starts to get weird and now the enemies come in and you're so discouraged that you can't even get the faith to believe that you're born again. Never mind, lay your hands on the sick. Because you're so caught up in, well, if you believe, well, the Bible says, you know, and all of a sudden you're learning and the knowledge of the Word He tries to twist against you. He did it to Jesus. If you're really the Son of God and He starts quoting Scripture at Him, you think He doesn't come to you and say, if you're really a believer, then how come and start quoting Scripture at you? Come on, if He thought that was going to work with Jesus, better believe He's going to try it with you. I promise you. If you're really the Son of God, He'll come to you. If you're really a Son of God, then, 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 and start quoting scripture at you, and pretty soon you're going, oh man, and you're, you, and now you're in this place where your life is to try to prove something rather than a life lived out of love for him. And now you're looking at everything as a pass or fail. 
and you're balancing your life out, and you're only doing as good as the last time that you saw something happen or that a gift manifested, and now all of a sudden you're seeking after that, and you've lost total sight of the fact that it was for freedom that you were set free, even freedom from condemnation and burden that would be placed upon you because of Scripture being quoted to you by an enemy that loves to twist it. Breathe. If there's no joy, it's not Him. I promise. We believe that if one person receives Jesus and is born again because of what we do, it's worth it. We believe that. Everything that we do, we believe if one person goes from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, it was worth every single time that we didn't see it. And we feel the same exact way about people being healed. If one person receives healing, then all the disappointment that would be tempted to come is worth it for the sake of the one. If one person's life is changed every single time that we didn't see it, it's so worth it for the one. Why? Because it's not pass or fail. It's not believe or unbeliever. I'm not saying that there's not place sometimes for discussion and healthy discussion about those things, but I am saying this. That's not where we're supposed to live our lives. Our life is not supposed to be a balancing act where every day we're trying to figure out who we are by the things that we see. Our life is supposed to be a daily getting up in the morning and knowing who I am because of what He said and enjoying living life from that. And I'll probably end up seeing more happen in when I'm living that way than when I'm out trying to prove something by the things that I do. You don't need another notch in your belt to prove anything to anyone. The cross is proof that you really are worth it. The cross is proof that you really are valuable. The blood of Jesus says that you're born again, a son, a daughter of God, and that's good enough. Everything I do out of that place now is just the overflow because freely I've received, now freely I want to give. That's what our lives are supposed to be. Father, I thank You for that. God, I just right now pray for any person who's ever been caught in the rat race of trying to prove something. Holy Spirit, that You would come right now. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, that You would come right now and You would set their heart free from the condemnation and the baggage and the distress and the anxiety and the frustration that's tempted to come. Father, I ask that You would just realign the way that we look at things. God, that we would look at healing the same way we look at asking for prayer when we're in distress or the way that we sing praises when we're cheerful. It's a natural response to something that's going on in our lives. I pray that You would just grow our love for each other, God. That that we would pray for each other, not out of a need to prove anything, but because we love people. God, that we would desire to see people emotionally healed and spiritually healed just as much as we desire to see them physically healed. And I just ask for the church. God, we, we right now, just join your, your hearts together with me and let's just agree on this. That these things stop becoming a disruptive issue and that we would see it for the gift that You declared that it is. In Jesus' name, that the eyes of the church would be so fixed on Jesus that petty arguments caused by disappointment 
would just be done away with. And that we could all look at each other and say, hey, we, 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 we don't have this all figured out any more than you do, but we're learning and we're growing. And if we can learn something from you, we want to learn from you. And if you can learn something from us, let learn from us. Because in the end, you're in the business of making every one of us into the complete image of your Son, Jesus, as we're drawn together by the unity of the faith. I just thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.